ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله verily the praise belongs to Allah we praise him seek his assistance and forgiveness and we seek refuge in Allah from the evil of ourselves and the evil consequences of our deeds whoever Allah guides there is no one that can lead him astray and whoever Allah leads astray there is no one that can guide him I bear witness that nothing deserves to be worshipped except Allah alone and that he has no partners or associates and I bear witness that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is his slave servant and his messenger. This evening, bi-idhnillahi ta'ala, we'd like to continue our discussion of the sharh or explanation of kitab al-tawheed al-ladhi huwa haqqullah the book of Tawheed that Tawheed which is the right of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala over his servants by Al-Imam Sheikh Muhammad Ibn Abdul Wahab Ibn Sulaiman Al-Tamimi Al-Najdi Rahimahullah in the explanation that we have been following uh, is the explanation of Sheikh Muhammad Al-Qur'awi Hafidhullah May Allah protect and preserve him As well as uh, In terms of the English translation We have been using that explanation And other sources that we have been using regularly Are also Al-Qawl Al-Mufid The Shah Kitab Al-Tahid By Shaykh Muhammad Ibn Salih Al-Uthaymeen Rahimahullah And Al-Qawl Al-Sadid The Shah Kitab Al-Tahid By Shaykh Abdullah of Shaykh Abdurrahman Al-Sa'adi Rahimahullah The chapter that we want to discuss today is a follow-up to the chapter from last week uh, the virtue or the merits or excellence of At-Tawheed and what it removes of sins last week the topic was the merits or the excellence of At-Tawheed and the sins that it removes and one of the merits of a tawheed is that which we are going to discuss this evening that is bab man haqqaqa at tawheed dakhal al jannah bi ghayri hisab man haqqaqa at tawheed whoever has fulfilled the requirements of tawheed has purified their tawheed from any corruption or distortion or shortcoming from those things such as shirk as well as bid'ah, innovation and as well as ma'asi or sins whoever has purified the tawheed from all of these shortcomings or defects that person will enter the paradise without any account without giving account the one who has achieved or realized and fulfilled the requirements of a tawheed completely and fully 
will enter the paradise without hisab. This is one of the fadl or one of the fadail of a tawheed which is a continuation of the previous chapter except that here as opposed to the previous chapter where every Muslim every Muslim has to some degree or another realized that tawheed to some degree or another and therefore to some degree or another they will achieve something of the virtues or the merits that one is entitled to through a tawheed such as the removal of sins and other merits of tawheed whereas this fadl or this merit or virtue of a tawheed it is only for a select few a few of the people of the ummah of Muhammad وسلم, will achieve such a high level the tahqiq of a tawheed the true realization and the full manifestation of the purity of a tawheed from all of those things that affect its perfection here Shaykh Muhammad Ibn Abdul Wahhab rahimahullah mentions three evidences as a proof for this heading which he has given that the people who realize and achieve the tawheed that they would enter paradise without reckoning, without account he says the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala inna Ibrahima kana ummatan qanitan lillahi hanifan walam yaku min al-mushrikeen that verily the prophet Ibrahim alayhi salam kana ummatan he was an ummah an ummah and the meaning of ummah in the Quran it has many meanings from amongst them is imam that he was an imam and he was a qudwa an example or a model for the people and he was muallam al-khayr the one who taught the people good and righteousness inna ibrahima kana ummatan he was an example a model a leader an imam on the path to paradise on the path to paradise he was an imam and an ummah he was a group a nation as though he was a nation not an individual so that if anyone who follows the path of righteousness the straight path of truth that leads to paradise if they find that they are lonely because of the few or the small number of people who are traveling that path as opposed to those who disbelieved and those who made shirk and those who participated in innovation and disobedience to Allah if he found that those who are traveling on that road are few then he wouldn't feel lonely because traveling that same path is a whole ummah the Prophet Ibrahim Inna Ibrahima kana ummatan qanitan qanitan it means al-dawam al that he was constantly consistently in obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he never abandoned the state of ta'a of Allah obedience to Allah he was always in obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala hanifan and hanifan it means al-mail and al-shirk al-shirk that he was not inclined he was uninclined he was not inclined towards shirk or the people of shirk their actions their speech their belief and so on he leaned away from it he was only inclined towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so these characteristics and the last characteristic walam yaku min al-mushrikeen are the characteristics of the Prophet Ibrahim which made him the model or the Imam and the example 
for those who want to travel the road to paradise. And especially it is these characteristics, whoever follows him in them, also they will be like him. They will be from amongst those who will enter the paradise. hisab without accounting and without punishment. That Ibrahim السلام, he was not from amongst the people who worshipped something along with Allah. He wasn't, he wasn't one of them, nor was he following their ways or participating in that which they are known for, as shirk, as well as the other things that the mushrikeen are known for, al-ma'asiyah, disobedience to Allah, and al-bid'ah, innovations in the deen, that led them astray to worship something other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This verse is mentioned in Surah Al-Nahl, chapter 16, verse 120. Then he mentioned another verse as a proof, which actually is a much longer verse. وَالَّذِينَ هُمْ بِرَبِّهِمْ لَا يُشْرِكُونَ Those who don't associate anything or ascribe any partnership in the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, of their Lord. Those who don't make any shirk, no ascribing of anything of partnership in the worship of their Lord. And the verse containing this statement in Surah Al-Mu'minun, chapter 23, uh, verse, verse uh, 59, or it is uh, chapter 23, verse 57, through, verses 57 through 61. But this verse, the verse that he mentions here, وَالَّذِينَ هُمْ بِرَبِّهِمْ it is from a group of verses which mention some of the characteristics of those believers who would be the foremost in doing good and who would be those who precede others into the paradise. And from amongst their characteristics are that they live in awe or fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, khashyatillah, and that they have iman, belief in the signs of Allah, the ayat of Allah, they have iman, certainty of belief in those signs. And the third characteristic is the one he mentioned here, that they don't join anyone in worship as partners with their Lord, and also that they are those who give that which they give. Whatever they give of charity or whatever good deeds that they do, they do it while their hearts are in fear of Allah, because they know that they are going to return to their Lord. And they worry and they are concerned whether or not their deeds would be accepted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. These are some of the characteristics that are mentioned in this group of verses. The important one for us here is the one that Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab mentions here in the text of the book. And here some of the scholars said that the word it came before the action to show that there is no possibility of any offering of something to other than their Lord. Yeah, and in this expression in Arabic, when the object of the verb comes before the verb itself, it is a manner or an uslub which limits, which eliminates any possibility of there being any doubt about the statement being made here. The meaning is that it is, yani, that they don't make any shirk whatsoever with their Lord Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And here the reference is to ar-rububiyyah, in this reference that they don't make any shirk in the rububiyyah, the tawheed of rububiyyah, 
necessitates, as we have said on many occasions, whoever believes that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone is the creator and he alone is the provider and the one who controls the affairs of the universe and gives life and death and causes benefit or harm, if he is the only one who has this exclusive right and authority and power, then of necessity we must acknowledge the fact that he alone deserves to be worshipped. Therefore, there is a hint here that the fact that they don't make any shirk in ascribing anyone as a partner equal to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as the Rabb, the Lord of the universe, also is an indication that they don't worship anything along with him. Because if he alone is the Rabb, then he alone is the Ilah, the Ma'bud, Bihaq, the one that deserves to be worshipped alone. Then he mentions the third proof, the last of them, it is the hadith, a long hadith reported by Al-Bukhari and Muslim, that hadith on the authority of Hussein ibn Abdurrahman. He said, Qala, Quntu inda Sa'id ibn Jubair, Rahimahullah, that I was with Sa'id ibn Jubair, Faqala, and he said to us, Ayyukum ra'a al-qawkaba alladhi inqadda al-barihata. And which one of you has seen that falling star, the star which fell in the sky last night? Faqultu Hussain, rahimahullah said, I said, Ana, I have seen it. Thumma qultu, Ama inni lam akun fi salatin, walakinni ludigtu. Then Hussein rahimahullah said, Verily indeed, I was not in the performance of salat during the night at the time that I saw this falling star or shooting star, but in fact, the reason why I was awake in the night is because I had been stung by a scorpion or stung by some poisonous insect. Yani here, Hussein, he removed any doubt or he removed the possibility of someone thinking that perhaps he was of those who stood in the night and because he was standing in prayer in the night he saw the the star, the shooting star in the night but in fact the reason why he was up in the night at that time was because he had been stung by a scorpion and this was his way of removing the possibility that someone might praise him for something that he wasn't entitled to praise for. Perhaps they might have thought that he was up last night praying in the night and he was not up praying, therefore it wasn't right that they think or imagine that the reason why he was up in the night was because he was praying, when in fact he was up in the night because he had been stung by a scorpion. Qal, fama sana'ata. Then Sa'id ibn Jubayr rahimahullah said to him, What have you done? What did you do when you were stung by the scorpion? Qultu irtaqaytu That I had a ruqya performed as a means of cure. That is, a ruqya, it is the recitation of something from the Qur'an, of verses from the Qur'an, or any supplication or words from the authentic hadith of the Prophet that might be used as a means of cure from physical as well as spiritual sickness or disease. And likewise the scholars said that the names of Allah, the asma of Allah and the sifat of Allah might also be used as, as a means of ruqya. They might be used also as a means of ruqya. 
So he said that he had someone to perform ruqya, the recitation of some words, whether from the Qur'an or supplications from the authentic hadith or the names of Allah and his characteristics, that might be recited as a means of seeking cure from some sickness, whether it is physical or whether it is spiritual. And one of the hadith related to this particular action of a ruqya is the hadith reported in the Sahih of Muslim on the authority of Abu Sa'id al-Khudri radiallahu anhu that they were traveling in the land and they came across some people who they asked to house them or to give them a place of rest and hospitality but the people refused and later before they left those people came back to them and said is anyone from amongst you able to do ruqya because the leader or the head of those people had been stung by a scorpion or a snake and one of them said yes we can do it and so one of them went to him and did ruqya upon him he recited al-fatiha and he immediately rose up from his sickness and was cured from it from a physical sickness or disease by the recitation of Quran and later when they returned to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam they reported to him what had happened and he affirmed that it was legitimate and even asked them how did they know that the Quran could be used as a ruqya as a means of healing by recitation of the Quran and likewise it may be by recitation of some supplication that the Prophet ﷺ has reported or that has been reported from him authentic hadith or the names of Allah and his characteristics. So here he said that he had ruqya performed. Then Sa'id said to him, Qala Fama Hamalata ala dalik. Yani what caused you to do that? What caused you to use the ruqya? Why is it that you use ruqya? What made you think that this was a means of a cure from the poisonous bite of a scorpion? It was based upon a hadith which the great scholar al-Sha'bi rahimahullah has reported to us. What is the hadith that he has reported to you? That he said it was the hadith of Burayda ibn Husayb that he said La ruqyata illa min aynin aw humatin that there is no ruqya except from the condition of the one who has been afflicted by the ayn the eye, the evil eye or that affliction that may be caused by a person who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created them in a way that within their being they have the ability that if they look at someone they can cause harm to them and this is a reality as the Prophet ﷺ said, Al-Ain Haq, it is a reality, it is true, that there are some people who have been created in such a way that if they are amazed or pleased about something or fascinated with something that they see, that they may look at it and cause harm to it. And it happened in the time of the Prophet ﷺ to one of the companions, I think it was Sahal ibn Hunayf, radiallahu anhu, that someone looked at him and caused harm to him, and the Prophet ﷺ came to him and told them what to do, uh, in order to cure him. In any case, the ayn is indeed a reality, it is something that is true. And sometimes it is caused by people who are jealous or evil, and sometimes it is caused by a person who doesn't want to cause harm to anyone. But it is something that he has no control over, and for this reason the Prophet ﷺ said to that man, in his time, one of the companions who had disability, he said to him, if you see something that pleases you, say, Tabarakallah. Yani, mention these words, of uh, the blessing of Allah be upon something. So he said that لا ركية إلا من عين أو حمة أو حمة. That 
but there's no ruqya and some of the scholars understood that the meaning of this statement is that it's not permissible to do ruqya except from the person who has been afflicted by the ayn, the eye or the person who has been bit by a poisonous insect such as a scorpion which was the case uh, here in this hadith, the hadith of Hussein ibn Abdurrahman and some scholars understood that the meaning of la ruqyata illa min aynin or humatin it means that there is nothing which the ruqya is more beneficial for except the one who has been afflicted with al ayn or al huma yani poisonous bite uh, not that these are the only things that a ruqya can be used for and this is perhaps the more correct statement since there are authentic reports that the Prophet ﷺ allowed and encouraged uh, the ruqya to be used for other things besides this but that these are the things that it is most beneficial for that it is most effective with otherwise uh, it is a fact that the ruqya has been used for other things and the Prophet ﷺ approved of it this hadith uh, then he said Qala uh, That is Sa'id ibn Jubair Rahimahullah He said Qad ahsana man intaha ila ma samia That indeed The one who restricts himself Or only acts upon that which he has heard Meaning that which has been reported to him From the authentic sources From the Quran or from the Sunnah The person who restricts his action To that which has a proof or a dalil From the Sharia And that person has indeed done well قَدْ أَحْسَنَ مَنْ إِنْتَهَا إِلَى مَا سَمِعَ يعني who doesn't go beyond that which there is a proof for from the Sharia as opposed to those who act on ignorance without any knowledge from the Quran or Sunnah or those who have knowledge but don't act upon it they have knowledge but they don't act upon it they act in contradiction to their knowledge يعني the one who has done well is the one who acts in accordance with the evidence with the proof from the Sharia from the Quran or the Sunnah so here, Sa'id ibn Jubayr rahimahullah said that the one who acted upon that which has been reported to him of authentic knowledge, he has done well. And that was in praise of the action of Hussein ibn Abdurrahman that he used the ruqya for that thing which a hadith had been reported to him from a Sha'bi concerning it. However, however, Sa'id ibn Jubayr mentioned that وَلَكِنْ حَدَّثَنَا ibn Abbas but Abdul ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuma may Allah be pleased with him and his father has reported to us a hadith from the Prophet in which he said in a long hadith he reported that which seemed to be on the surface appeared to be in contradiction to that which is understood from this hadith the permissibility of ruqya for Ayn and Huma he narrated a hadith from Abdul ibn Abbas which seems to suggest the prohibition of using a ruqya and in that hadith he said that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said عُرِدَتْ عَلَيَّ الْأُمَمْ that the nations of the previous prophets have been brought before me in front of me فَرَأَيْتُ النَّبِيَّ وَمَاهُ الرَّحْتُ and I saw one prophet as the, the nations of the earth were crossing in front of me each nation of people behind their prophet I saw a prophet and he had with him just a small number of people Ar-Rahtu, it means a small number from between three and nine. Only a small band of people, of his followers, were with him marching in front with the nations. And I saw a prophet that only had with him a man, or two men, two people. And 
and a prophet that didn't have anyone with him. He had no followers. Nobody accepted his call. Nobody accepted the message that he was brought with. And on Yawm Qiyamah, as the nations are passing across for the judgment, there will be prophets who will come with small groups of people. And there he said he saw a prophet that didn't have anyone who accepted his message. Is at that time, is Rufia li sawadun azimun. Then there was brought before me a great number, a large group of people. And a group of people who were far away, and therefore I couldn't know who they were. Because they were a large number of people, and the Prophet was promised that his nation would supersede and excel all other nations of the Prophets of the past. He said, I thought that it was my ummah, I thought it was my followers. And then it was said to me, Hada Musa wa qawmuhu. No, indeed, this is Musa السلام, and his followers, his people. Then I looked again, فَإِذَا سَوَادٌ عَظِيمٌ Then I looked again and I saw a great large number of people greater than the first one. فَقِيلَ لِي هَذَا أُمَّتُكُ Then it was said to him, this is your ummah. وَمَاعَهُمْ سَبْعُونَ أَلْفًا يَدْخُلُونَ الْجَنَّ بِغَيْرِ حِسَابٍ وَلَا عَذَابٍ And with this great number of people that was going on the way entering into the paradise, there was a great large number of people and with them were 70,000 of the followers of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam who would enter the paradise without having to give account for their deeds in this world and without any punishment whatsoever. Then the Prophet sallallahu stood up and went away and he entered his house Then the people began to discuss who are those people, the 70,000 who are going to enter the paradise without giving account and without any punishment each one suggesting who he thought it may be each of them trying to figure out who it may be because subhanallah 70,000 people from the ummah of Muhammad وسلم, entering paradise without giving account without any punishment For, by what means how is it that they would be of those people what is the characteristic of those people they wanted to know so they searched and they thought and they discussed it فَقَالَ بَعْضُهُمْ فَلَعَلَّهُمْ صَحِبُوا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ Perhaps they are the people who accompanied the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Either those who accompanied him before the migration or before the conquest of Mecca Perhaps they are from amongst those who were the close companions of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam And because of their action of accepting Islam in the early days and accompanying the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam And supporting him and believing in Allah Perhaps this is the reason that they will be from amongst those 70,000 who would enter the paradise without any account وَقَالَ بَعْضُهُمْ فَلَعَلَّهُمُ الَّذِينَ وُلِدُوا فِي الْإِسْلَامِ فَلَمْ يُشْرِكُوا بِاللَّهِ شَيْعًا Then some of them said, perhaps there are those who were born in Islam, and who were born to Muslim parents, who were born after Islam had spread, and came amongst their people, and they didn't make any shirk, they didn't associate anything as a partner with Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala, in any way, in anything. And perhaps they are the ones who would enter paradise without any account, because they were born in Islam, and they never practiced shirk. They never did any wrong. But they were born on the Tawheed, worshipping Allah alone. وَذَكَرُوا أَشْيَاءَ فَخَرَجَ عَلَيْهِمْ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ فَأَخْبَرُوهُ Then they began to mention different, various things. And while each one was offering his opinion, and what he thought was the reason why they, those people were, would be entering the paradise without any account, the Prophet ﷺ came out. He came out amongst them, and they informed him of the discussion that was taking place between them. فَقَالَ Then the Prophet ﷺ said to them, informing them 
who are these people and why would they be of those who are into paradise without account? That they are those who wouldn't seek the use of Rukya. They wouldn't ask anybody to treat them by Rukya. They wouldn't request from anybody to treat them by Rukya, but they would rely upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone, not having need of anyone besides Him. And they wouldn't use the process of healing or treatment called Al-Kay, that is cauterization, using hot irons, using a hot like branding iron that the people used to use at that time as a means of healing, as a means of medical treatment. And the Arabs in that time used to think that this was one of those things that it always worked. If they used it for any kind of sickness, the use of a hot branding iron, it definitely would heal the person from whatever they were suffering from. They believed in that. And here the Prophet ﷺ said that though this was something which they believed in, that it would heal them for sure, they used to trust in it too much, he said that this was one of the things that those who were into paradise without account, they would never use it. They wouldn't seek anyone to cure them or to heal them by the use of cauterization. وَلَا يَتَطَيَّرُونَ Nor would they believe in, nor would they follow or act upon good or bad omens. And if they saw something, a bird flew by them or a cat walked in front of them, they wouldn't take that as a sign of something good nor of bad. But they would believe in the qadr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that everything is as Allah decreed it to be. Don't worry about those things that are happening around us that have no effect on the control of the affairs of the universe. So he mentioned these three things that they wouldn't use ruqya and they wouldn't use al-kay, hot branding iron or cauterization nor would they follow or accept or believe in good or bad omens. And finally the fourth characteristic that he mentioned for them and it is the characteristic that is the comprehensive characteristic which the others, the first three fall under وَعَلَىٰ رَبِّهِمْ يَتَوَكَّلُونَ And they used to have tawakkul, reliance or dependence on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. And the proper reliance on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it means that the person puts their trust in Allah while at the same time using lawful means that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has allowed. For whatever it may be, if there is some sickness, it is permissible to use the lawful means that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has taught the people or revealed or shown to us, such as those things which are mentioned in the Quran or in the Sunnah, or that which is known through experience that it is a lawful and correct and acceptable and effective means of treating as long as it doesn't contain anything that is in contradiction to the Sharia. And the Prophet ﷺ said that you should take cure. You should take cure but don't use anything as a cure of that which is haram. And as long as it doesn't contain something that is haram then using lawful things for curing it is acceptable. And here the Prophet ﷺ said that the fourth characteristic of those people is that they put their trust in Allah, that they depend and rely upon Allah alone and that doesn't negate the possibility or the permissibility of using lawful means. But it means that they used to turn first to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and trust in Him and believe in Him completely and believe that Allah is the first cause and the primary cause 
even if we use medicine, but the medicine doesn't have any ability to cure except by permission from Allah. And anything that's harmful, it doesn't have the ability to harm except by permission of Allah. And the proof of this is the story of Ibrahim السلام, when he was thrown into the fire and he trusted in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah is the one who makes fire to burn and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made the fire cool. And it didn't cause him any harm. So these are those who don't use these means of ruqya, nor uh, cauterization, nor do they believe in bad or good omens, but they rely on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. فَقَامَ أُقَاشَةُ إِبْنِ مِحْصَن Then one of the companions of the Prophet ﷺ, Uqasha, he stood up at that moment, فَقَالَ أُذْعُ اللَّهِ أَنْ يَجْعَلَنِي مِنْهُمْ He said to the Messenger of Allah ﷺ, supplicate to Allah to make me one of them. Supplicate to Allah that He makes me one of those 70,000 people who would enter paradise without accounting and without any punishment. قَالَ أَنْتَ مِنْهُمْ Then the Prophet ﷺ said, you are from amongst them, you are one of them. Yani by revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Prophet knew. Otherwise, he cannot know who is going to enter paradise and who is not. Especially in the time of their life while they are living. But he said, Anta minhum, you are one of them. فَقَامَ رَجُلٌ آخَرُ فَقَالَ عُدُ اللَّهِ مِنْهُمْ Then another man stood up and said to the Prophet ﷺ, Supplicate to Allah that he makes me also to be from amongst them, to be one of those 70,000 فَقَالَ Then the Prophet ﷺ, out of kindness and mercy and consideration and based upon his good, excellent, noble character, instead of refusing to supplicate for that man and instead of telling him that you are not from amongst them, he said to him in a nice way, those words which were an indirect way of saying that you are not one of them without saying it, but at the same time, uh, what he said is true. He said, Sabaqaqa biha uqashatu. That uqasha, he has preceded you in this. Yani, he is the one who acts first, and he came first, and therefore the Prophet ﷺ acknowledged that he would be one of them, and anyone who came after that, it wouldn't be for them. Yani, it wouldn't be for them to ask, nor for the Prophet ﷺ to supplicate that they be from amongst them, or to affirm that they are from amongst them. And some of the scholars said that the reason for the Prophet ﷺ making this statement is because that man was a munafiq, a hypocrite, and he didn't want to supplicate for that man, or to suggest that he would be from amongst those 70,000 who into paradise, without accounting, and perhaps the more correct opinion is that some of the scholars said, is that the Prophet ﷺ wanted to close the door. And he wanted to stop it there. Because if he said, okay, وَأَنْتَ مِنْهُمْ يُعْصَصَ فَمَنْهُمْ them, Perhaps everyone will start standing and saying, supplicate to Allah for me that I will be amongst them too. So the Prophet ﷺ stopped it there, and he closed the door there, but he did it in a mild, gentle, uh, sensitive way, without telling him you are not of them, and without telling him, don't ask me to supplicate Allah. He simply said, Sabakaka biha uqasha. That uqasha, he has preceded you, he has come first, and it is for him. And that is a special any favor that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given to him. This is the text of the statement of Shaykh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab, rahimahullah. Uh, and before going to the sharh, as we have been doing previously, we'll look at the masail or the issues or the important matters that are not mentioned in the sharh in this book that we are basically relying upon, you know, as our text. But the issues that are mentioned in the translation of Kitab al-Tawheed published by Maktaba Dar Salam. And the masail here 
that Sheikh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab mentioned are 22. We will try to go through them as quickly as possible. From amongst the Messiah, the first of them, he said, it is knowledge of the fact that the levels of people in reference to Tawheed vary. And there are various levels. Not all people in reference to Tawheed are on the same level. Some of them have achieved the Tawheed a little and some more than others and some have perfected it and those who have perfected it are those who will enter paradise without account. Otherwise, the other Muslims, inshallah, will also enter paradise but not as those who reach this high, high level. So the levels of the Muslims in reference to Tawheed vary. Number two, what is the meaning of Tahqiq? What is the meaning of Man Haqqaqa Tawheed? It means that that one who has purified has removed any corruption or has eliminated any shortcoming or defect in their tawheed. And this is by three things. The first of them is by avoiding shirk in all of its type, whether major shirk or minor shirk, whether open shirk or unseen shirk. The second of them is al-bid'ah, avoiding innovation of all types, whether bid'ah mukaffira, that bid'ah which is kufr, or bid'ah mufassiqa, or that bid'ah which is only disobedience, avoiding all types of bid'ah, major or minor. And the third of them is al-ma'asi, sins of all types, whether they are min al-kabair, the major sins, or the sagair, the minor sins. Whoever has avoided sins, and avoided bid'ah, and avoided shirk, this is the realization, or the actualization, or the fulfilling of the requirements of tawheed, through which a person would enter paradise without accounting and without any punishment. The third of them is the praise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upon the Prophet Ibrahim alayhi salam due to the fact that he lam yakumin al-mushrikeen that he wasn't of the mushrikeen that he didn't fall into any shirk. And here some of the scholars said that the description in the Quran of the Prophet Ibrahim in this verse that is mentioned in this chapter it includes the fact that he lam yakun min al-mushrikeen meaning that he never was from amongst the mushrikeen that he never was from amongst them that he never practiced shirk at all from the beginning until the end and also that he was qanitan lillahi hanifan means that he was constantly in the condition of obedience to Allah and turning away from shirk so not only was he in that condition now but even from the very beginning, Lam Yaku Min al Mushrikeen, he never was from amongst the Mushrikeen, he never practiced shirk in his life. So this is one of the reasons or the main reason why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala praised the Prophet Ibrahim in this verse that he was an Ummah and that he was one of those who was constantly in obedience to Allah and turning away from shirk. He was never from amongst the Mushrikeen. The next issue number four is the praise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for those leaders of the, the awliya of the Muslims, the leaders, those who were sabiqun, the foremost from amongst the believers. And he praised them also in that verse in Quran and Surah Al-Mu'mineen in which he mentioned from amongst their characteristics that, uh, that they were in reference to their Lord and Rabbihim la yushrikun, that they never used to make any shirk in reference to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So for the same reason they were also praised in addition to the other characteristics that he mentioned in uh, that verse. The fifth issue is the fact that avoiding al-ruqya and al-kay yani cauterization that avoiding these things are part of the tahqiq of tawheed or the achievement or realization or the fulfillment of the requirements of tawheed it is avoiding such things that the people relied upon and believed in greatly 
instead of turning themselves first and foremost to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The sixth issue is the fact that uh, the thing that was comprehensive in reference to the characteristics of those who enter paradise without account, it is a tawakkul, a tawakkul, the reliance or dependence on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It is the comprehensive matter or issue or characteristic that includes the others, that they didn't use ruqya and they didn't use cauterization and they didn't believe in bad or good omens. All of this was because of their tawakkul, their reliance and dependence on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. Also, the depth of the knowledge of Sahaba, radiallahu anhum ajma'een, uh, in that they knew that no one could achieve such a position of entering paradise without account except by deeds, except by actions. And so the things that they mentioned, perhaps those 70,000, it is because of this or that, it was all based on the actions of worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It wasn't by any special favor that they would get in, yani, without doing anything. But it was because they were companions of the Prophet wasallam, or those who were foremost in believing his message, or because they were born in Islam and they never practiced shirk. It was because of their actions, by action, not just by hoping or wishing or desiring. Number eight, the uh, eagerness of the companions of the Prophet ﷺ in seeking good. Yani they were searching for the reason why, the, why those 70,000 would enter paradise without account in, and because they wanted to know what was the ways or the characteristics of the good so that they could implement it in their lives. Number uh, nine, the, the, the excellence of the Ummah of Muhammad ﷺ not only would they be superior to the other nations in number, those who would enter paradise, the followers of the Prophet Muhammad would be more than other nations, but also in in quality, they were better than the other nations, and the proof of that is that 70,000 from the companions of from the followers, from the Ummah of Muhammad would enter paradise without hisab and without azab. Number 10, the virtue or excellence or merit of the companions of Musa salam also being very, very large in number, more than the other nations of the earth. Number 11, the fact that the nations of the earth would be paraded or were shown to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And he saw the nations of the earth that would enter the paradise. Number 11, that every nation would be gathered and he's separate from the other nations along with their Prophet. And every nation would be separate according to their Prophet, the Prophet who was sent to them. Number uh, 13, the small number of those who answered the Prophets. Yani many Prophets, only a few people followed them. Not every Prophet had a large following like the followers of Muhammad wasallam, nor the followers of Musa salam, and so on. But many of the Prophets had a few followers. Number 14, that those Prophets, whichever one from amongst them, no one accepted his message, then on the day of resurrection he would be marching forward alone. Number 15, the fruit or the benefit of this knowledge. Yani the knowledge that many of the prophets only had a few followers or maybe no followers. The benefit from knowing this is that a person wouldn't be over-concerned about numbers. Yani they would not be deluded or deceived by a large number of followers, nor would they be in despair or lose hope because they only had a few followers. If any group of Muslims in any place in the earth are calling to Allah and they are few in number, they shouldn't be in despair. Some of the prophets had no one who accepted their message. And if they have a large following, that's not necessarily a proof that they are on the truth. Some of the deviant groups have large followers and that's not a proof of anything. The number of followers is not necessarily a proof of a person's success or failure and we should not be over-concerned about numbers. But we should be more concerned about the quality of the work of worshipping Allah and calling to His way. Number 16, the permissibility of a ruqya 
from Al-Ain, the eye, as well as from Huma, poisonous uh, insect bite, that is permissible to use it. And especially the person who does the Ruqya on himself, it is different from the one who requests. And in those people, the 70,000 who went to paradise without account, are those who didn't request anybody to do Ruqya on them. As for the person doing it on himself, there is no harm in it whatsoever. It doesn't affect the perfection of Tawheed. That a person recites Qur'an on self for the sake of healing, re- relying on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But the one who, who relies on someone else to heal them instead of turning to Allah alone, this is a defect in the person, in the actualization or the achievement or the realization of a Tawheed. Number 17, the depth of the knowledge of the Salaf, the early uh, generation of the Muslims, based on the saying of Sa'id, where he said, قَدْ أَحْسَنَ مَنْ إِنْتَهَا إِلَى مَا سَمِعَ يعني ولكن كذا وكذا that those who stick to or adhere to or follow that which has been reported to them of authentic evidence that that person has done well however then he mentioned the other hadith from Abdul ibn Abbas which even though يعني the previous hadith suggests the permission of the use of al-ruqya but the hadith of ibn Abbas suggests that the person that it is better not to use it or especially it is better not to call on someone to do ruqya for you and here he said that it is known from this statement of Sayyid ibn Jubayr that he approved of the first hadith, however he mentioned another hadith, which those two hadith are not in contradiction. If the person understands them uh, properly, then they will see that there is no contradiction between them, because one of them, it uh, allows the permissibility of a ruqya as long as it is the ruqya that fulfills the requirements of the sharia, something from the Qur'an or sunnah, or that which is the mention of the names of Allah's characteristics without the use of those things which might be from the matters of shirk or that which is in contradiction to the sharia and that case is permissible however the other hadith shows that it is better and more preferable that the person doesn't ask anyone to do ruqya for them number 18 he says that the salaf or the early scholars of the Muslim ummah they used to distance themselves from the praising of any person with that which the person doesn't deserve. Yani, we shouldn't praise anyone for something that they don't deserve. Nor should we allow anyone to praise us if we don't deserve. And that is understood from the hadith of Hussein when he said, in case they thought that perhaps they might praise him or look well at him because they thought he was up in the night praying, he made it clear that that wasn't so, so that no one would praise him or look up to him for something that he didn't deserve, which he didn't do. The 19th issue, the saying of the Prophet ﷺ, Anta minhum, that you are from amongst them, that he's saying to Uqtasha radiallahu anhu, was from amongst the people who went into paradise, and even better than that, he was from amongst those 70,000 who went into without hisab and without azab. And this is a proof of the Prophet of Muhammad ﷺ, that he had knowledge of those things of the unseen or those things of the future, which could only be known by revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is the sign of his prophethood. Uh, also, number 20, the virtues or the merit or excellence of Uqasha, radiallahu anhu, who was indeed from amongst the exclusive group of the people of Tawheed, and in those 70,000 who indeed achieved or realized the fullness of Tawheed by avoiding all of those things and relying upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. Number 21, استعمال المعارض المعارض يعني the use of expression or يعني answering someone in a way 
without answering the question directly as the Prophet ﷺ didn't answer the man who stood up after Uqasha he didn't answer him directly and he didn't deny him directly but he answered him in an indirect way uh, saying something that wasn't the real reason it wasn't the real reason yani it wasn't the fact that Uqasha acts first that that man couldn't be from amongst the 70,000 but there was another reason but out of the kindness and mercy of the Prophet ﷺ he made a statement which was also true Though it wasn't the real reason why he didn't supplicate for him, and this is called ma'arid, and it's permissible to do so, to answer somebody in a way indirectly, without lying and without yani, speaking to them or saying or answering them directly. This is a, a something that's permissible. It was used by the Prophet ﷺ, and there are other hadith which mention its use. And the last issue, issue number 22, it is husnu khuluqhi, yani the the excellence of the uh, character of the Prophet ﷺ uh, and this is shown in the way that he responded to that man who stood up without hurting his feelings but at the same time achieving his objective or his goal of closing the door uh, from those who want to and he ask him to supplicate exclusively for them to be from amongst the 70,000 on that particular occasion. This is the end of uh, the issues or the Messiah and that which remains in the time remaining is the yani, Sharh by Sheikh Muhammad Al Qarawi uh, <coughs> from page 23 to 28. And basically, we'll cover yani, some of what he said, uh, basically, the benefits that are derived from the verse or from the hadith. And here he starts by mentioning the first proof that Ibrahim was an Ummah and he was Qanit, those who were constantly obedient to Allah and Hanifan and he worshipping Allah alone or turning away from shirk and the people of shirk and the actions and speech and belief of the people of shirk uh, then he says here that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala informs us in this verse that the messenger Ibrahim salam was a leader in religion and he was an ummah, an imam, a leader, a model in the religion, a teacher of goodness always humble and obedient to his lord and that he rejected shirk and hanifa means his rejection of shirk and likewise is further confirmed وَلَمْ يَكُوْ مِنَ الْمُشْرِكِينَ that he wasn't from amongst the polytheists or the pagans uh, he rejected shirk in all of his manifestations and devoted himself exclusively to the worship of Allah alone without falling into shirk either in word, in his speech, nor in deed, in action, nor in belief. And shirk is in all of these three types. The shirk in aqidah, the person's belief, uh, a belief that contradicts the tawheed, as well as in speech, such as the minor shirk of a person who says, uh, MashaAllah wa anta, that it is as Allah willed and you will as though someone is equal to Allah in their will and that was said to the Prophet Sallallahu and he said are you making me as an equal to Allah but instead you should say MashaAllah wahda that is as Allah alone will so speech also yani, could be a form of shirk and likewise actions there is shirk in action so all of these should be avoided from this verse he mentions the following points that Tawheed is the basis of all religion Number two, very important point, the obligation to follow Ibrahim by sincerely worshipping Allah alone. And in this ayah, we understand that Ibrahim was an ummah, he was an imam, an example, a qudwa, a model to be followed. Therefore, we are obligated to follow him in these characteristics. And likewise, as some of the scholars said, that whoever Allah prays in the Quran, not only are we to follow them, but we are also to love them. We should love the Prophet Ibrahim and love for the sake of Allah and hatred for the sake of Allah is of the essentials, the foundations of Al-Iman. So loving Ibrahim is also understood from this verse. It is an obligation upon the Da'iyah to set a good example for the people in all that he does. And this is also a very important point that in Da'wah, 
as the Prophet Ibrahim السلام, and the Prophets and Messengers they are examples for the people in everything that they do likewise whoever is working in da'wah whoever considers themselves as those who participate in calling to Allah they should be an example in their actions in all that they do in public as well as in private then he said the unchanging nature of the true worship as exemplified by the prophets yani, that all of the prophets followed this way yani, they all followed the same way the, their lifestyle it was it showed that the ibadah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the same it doesn't change from one generation to the next number five tawheed is not acceptable without rejection of shirk and this is also very important that the tawheed the perfect tawheed it is the tawheed that also includes the rejection of the opposite the rejection of shirk as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in the Quran surah al-Baqarah فَمَنْ يَكْفُرْ بِالْتَاغُوتِ وَيُؤْمِنْ بِاللَّهِ that whoever disbelieves in at-tagut the false gods and believes in Allah there is negation of false gods along with the affirmation of the tawheed for Allah alone that means that it is not يعني, sufficient just to believe in Allah alone but there also has to be disbelief in that which is false and this same statement is understood in the statement of shahada la ilaha illallah that there is nothing which deserves to be worshipped negation illallah affirmation of worship for Allah alone number six rejection of the claim of the Quraysh in the days of ignorance that in practicing their shirk they were following the religion of Ibrahim السلام, this shows that Ibrahim he wasn't from amongst the mushrikeen so their claim to be following the Millah of Ibrahim, it is falsehood. Then he says the next verse, uh, he gives the more complete text of this verse from Surah Al-Mu'mineen, and those who live in awe for fear of their Lord. Yani those who have the khashya of Allah, and those who believe in the signs of their Lord, who believe in the ayat of Allah, and those who join not anyone in worship. After seeing the signs of Allah, they know that He is the only Rabb, and therefore they don't worship anyone as a partner along with Him and those who give that which they give in charity with their hearts full of fear their hearts tremble for fear of Allah for fear that perhaps Allah will not accept their deeds they, have, they, have, they are concerned about whether or not the good deeds that they do whether or not Allah will accept it because they are sure that they are going to return to Him and be called to account by Him to be rewarded or punished according to their deeds from this verse or these verses he said we understand the obligation to fear Allah to believe in the signs of Allah to forbid or to avoid shirk in all of its manifestations of all types and the concern of the believers and this is the important point uh, one of the very very important points that a believer should be concerned as to whether or not their deeds will be accepted and we shouldn't just assume that because we performed hajj that it's accepted that because we make salat that it has to be accepted or we gave charity it has to be accepted but it has to be without shirk that means there has to be ikhlas of doing our deeds purely for Allah alone whoever doesn't have ikhlas in their deeds no matter whatever amount of good deeds they would do, it would never be accepted because Allah doesn't accept any deed unless it's done for Him alone without associating anyone with Him in it. The preferability of competing with others in the performance of good deeds, and this is in the verse of Surah Al-Mu'mineen, in the end of it, the last verse which is not mentioned here, verse 61, that they will be of those who will be foremost in the doing of good deeds. سَابِقُونَ فِي الْخَيْرَاتِ That means the competition or racing with one another in the doing of good deeds. It is encouraged that the believers should compete with one, with one another in doing good deeds. Then he mentions the hadith of Hussein ibn Abdurrahman uh, that he, he stated he was with Sayyid ibn Jubair and he asked who had seen the shooting star and then he said he was up that night because he had been stung by a scorpion and he used Ruqya and here uh, in the text of the Sharh, the explanation of Kitab al-Tawheed that we are using in English, he says um, that I heard a hadith the hadith I heard from Ash-Shabi, he asked, what did he tell you? I said, he reported from Bureyda, 
Al-Husayb or Al-Husayb who said that Ruqya is not permitted except in two cases. And as I said, some of the scholars understood this statement to mean that Ruqya is not allowed except in two cases, Al-Ain, uh, the one who was afflicted by the eye, or the one who was stung, Al-Huma, the one who was stung by a poisonous insect. But the other scholars said that the meaning of this is that Ruqya is not equally beneficial or effective except in these two uh, cases, the case of Al-Ain and poisonous stings. And perhaps this is the more correct opinion because the Prophet allowed Ruqya for other things other than these two things. So perhaps the correct understanding of this statement um, لا رقية إلا في العين and Huma is that these are the two things that Ruqya is most effective in. There is nothing that it is more effective in or nothing that is more effective than it in, than these two things. Then he said um, that whoever limits himself to what he has heard meaning the correct evidences that he has done well. And then he mentioned the statement of the Prophet from Ibn Abbas that he saw the nations paraded in front of him with their prophets and some of them had a few followers only and one of them had many that was Musa السلام, and then his followers came with those 70,000 who would enter the paradise without reckoning or punishment and then the companions of the Prophet وسلم, began to discuss what was the reason for that and some of them said it was because perhaps they were of those who were the close companions of the Messenger of Allah and some of them said perhaps it was because they were born in Islam and never practiced shirk and then the Prophet وسلم, informed them that the real the, the reason or the description of those people who are into paradise without account are those who do not and here it says in the translation they are those who do not treat themselves with ruqya and the correct meaning of la yarqa um, it means that not that they don't treat themselves but that they don't or yastarquna la yastarquna it means istifal um, it means to seek to seek something like istighfar means to seek forgiveness uh, here the meaning of لا يسترقون it means that they don't seek others to do ruqya on them therefore that person who does ruqya on himself there is no harm in it but actually the, the correct interpretation here should be that they are those who do not seek others to treat them with ruqya nor practice treatment by colorization nor believe in good or bad omens but depend upon and trust in their Lord alone then he mentioned Uqasha radiallahu anhu stood up and asked that the Prophet supplicate to Allah for him that he be from amongst them and he said you are from amongst them and then another man stood up and he said Uqasha has preceded you reported by Al-Bukhari and Muslim uh, and here he mentions a number of points from this hadith 15 some of them we mentioned already but in any case any of the important uh, it's, it's, some of them are a little different or worded differently from amongst them he said that the Salaf used to keep away from Riyah and anything that might lead to it yani that they didn't like to be in any position or situation where it might be understood that they were showing off or anything that led to it. Number two, the obligation to ask for proof before accepting anything in the religion. That was in the discussion between Sayyid and Jubayr and Hussein ibn Husayn that he asked, what is the proof for what you did? You did ruqya when you were stung by a scorpion based upon what? So it is proper that we should ask for proof in matters related to the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not just act without proof or knowledge or evidence. Number three, the permissibility of using ruqya for al-ayn, for the eye, and for poisonous things on the condition that the ruqya is of the kind endorsed by the sharia, by the Qur'an and sunnah, yani that which is from the Qur'an or authentic supplications from the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ in the Arabic language. And most of the scholars say in the Arabic language because sometimes people used to make ruqya 
by some expressions or sayings that are not understood. If you hear it, you don't know what they are saying. This kind of expression it cannot be used for Rukya. It is not really a condition that it has to be in the Arabic language, but because they are, their language was Arabic, the people shouldn't accept somebody to do Rukya in a language that they don't understand. Perhaps they are saying something that is not acceptable by the Sharia. It could be uh, something that is Shirk. And therefore, the, the point here is that the Rukya should be in expressions or words or language that can be understood to know what the person is saying when they do the Rukya so that we will be sure that it's in agreement with the Sharia and not a contradiction of a Tawheed. Also, the profound knowledge of the Salaf, yani, in the discussion of, of Sayyid ibn Jubair, Hussein, yani, we see that the scholars from amongst the early generation of Muslims understood the deen very well. Number five, acting in accordance with the Quran and Sunnah takes precedence over all opinions. Yani, even, even if somebody gave us their opinion and they are of those people who we consider as being better or higher or more knowledgeable or whatever, acting in accordance with the Quran and Sunnah has precedence over the opinions of all men, whoever they may be. Number six, the virtue of the Salaf, or the early generation of the Muslims, and their good manners and politeness in passing on Islamic knowledge. And this can be understood from the way that Sayyid ibn Jubayr, uh, and he made his point to Hussein, how he didn't criticize him for his position or his statement, but he added to his knowledge in a very yeah, any mannerly way, in a polite way, and this is the way that Muslims should teach one another and deal with one another. Number seven, the disparity in the number of followers of one prophet to another, and that some prophets have no followers. <coughs> number eight, the number of followers a person may have is not necessarily an indication of the truth or falseness of the message. And not all of the groups who have large numbers are necessarily on the right way, and because some group of people may only be small in number, it doesn't necessarily mean that they are not on the truth. Uh, number nine, the virtue or excellence of Musa salam, and his people. Number ten, the excellence of the Ummah of Muhammad salam, in comparison to other peoples in number as well as in quality. Number eleven, the love of the companions for all good deeds. And in their discussion trying to find out how or why those people would enter paradise without any account. Number twelve, the permissibility of engaging in debate in religious matters that is permissible to discuss with one another those things that we may have difference about but of course in an orderly and mannerly and polite and proper way number 13 whoever possesses the four attributes mentioned in the hadith has perfected tawheed and will enter paradise and those characteristics are the avoidance of a ruqya the avoidance of al kay that is cauterization the, the, the avoidance of believing in tatayyur the bad or good omens and the reliance the reliance on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. The permissibility of asking virtuous persons to supplicate Allah on our behalf. Uh, Ukasha radiallahu anhu asked the Prophet to supplicate for him that he be from amongst those 70,000. And another man also stood up and asked him, and this is a proof that is permissible to ask the virtuous or righteous people uh, to supplicate to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for us. And likewise, in the time of Sahaba, after the death of the Prophet, Umar ibn Khattab, he used to go to Al-Abbas, the uncle of the Prophet and ask him to supplicate for them, for example, in time of drought, that Allah cause it to rain. So the permissibility of asking the virtuous or righteous people to supplicate to Allah on our behalf is confirmed. And lastly, there is no contradiction between the hadith of a shabi which permits ruqya when the conditions for its acceptance are met, that is, that is from the Qur'an or Sunnah, 
or the mention of the names of Allah and His characteristics in a way that is understandable what's being said without any language or expressions that contradict the Sharia or contradict the Tawheed that there is no contradiction between this hadith which permits Ruqya and the hadith of Abdul ibn Abbas anhuma, which forbids Ruqya when those conditions are not met Yani the hadith of Ibn Abbas and its prohibition of Ruqya is not an absolute prohibition of Ruqya but it is the preference that a person should avoid seeking others to perform Ruqya on them but the permissibility of a person doing Ruqya on themselves there is no harm in it because it is indeed total reliance on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala if somebody recites Quran with the hope that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will heal them from it uh, this is the end of what is mentioned here in the Sharh and the remaining are the questions um, at the end of the handout which we should look at in the time remaining the first question explain the meaning of whoever fulfilled the requirements of Tawheed yani the Tahqiq of a Tawheed and what is its reward Naam the reward is paradise and what is the meaning of this statement though that whoever man haqqaqa at-tawheed dakhal al-jannah bi ghayri hisab what is the meaning of haqq tahqiq at-tawheed it means to purify the tawheed and to keep it from any corruption or shortcoming or defect by three things by avoiding shirk of all types and bid'ah innovation of all types and ma'asi sin or disobedience to Allah of all types number two why is the characteristics or why was the character or what it should be what was the characteristic of Ibrahim for which he was praised by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala what what was the characteristic of Ibrahim uh, in Surah Al-Nahl it was Naam but it was the avoidance of shirk the constant obedience to Allah and being an example of good and avoiding the main thing was the avoidance of shirk number three explain the following expressions Ummah Qanit Hanif that are mentioned in this verse Al-Ummah it means a leader or an example and Qanit it means the one who is constantly or consistently in obedience to Allah and Hanif it means the one who not inclined towards shirk and the people of shirk and the actions or speech or belief of the people of shirk and the belief and actions of the people of shirk it is not only shirk but it's also bid'ah and sin because the people who uh, who practice the mushrikeen they used to worship something along with Allah and likewise they also used to invent things in the deen yani innovations or new things and they were de- indeed in disobedience to Allah practicing all kinds of sin uh, number four the nafi or the negation in Surah Al-Mu'mineen or Mu'minun who join not anyone as partners in worship with their Lord is ithbat or affirmation of what? yani this nafi that from amongst those believers are those who do not join anything as a partner with Allah this is the negation of them making shirk it is the affirmation of what? it is the affirmation of Tawheed the negation of shirk is the affirmation that that person has indeed achieved a Tawheed the fact that they didn't worship anything along with Allah means that they worship Allah alone this is the affirmation of Tawheed what is the meaning of Ar-Ruqya and what is the Hukm of Islamic ruling concerning it? explain the ruling is that it's permissible as long as it doesn't have any contradiction to Tawheed or Sharia but what is the meaning of Ruqya? what is it? Now, the recitation of verses of Quran or supplications from Hadith or the names of Allah characteristics of Allah reciting them for the purpose of healing or cure of some sickness whether physical or spiritual this is Ar-Ruqya 
No, yeah, it is also ruqya. If a person recites any supplication from the sunnah with the objective or the intention of asking Allah to heal them by it, then it is ruqya. Number six, explain the words of Sa'id ibn Jubair, rahimahullah, he who limits himself to what he has heard has done well. What is the meaning of this? Hmm? Huh? Based on knowledge? Now, that a person should base their actions on knowledge. That that person who acts upon knowledge has done well. As opposed to the person who acts on ignorance, who does something, who worships Allah, makes salat, or does something without knowledge. Maybe it's innovation, maybe it's shirk, but they don't know. The one who acts on knowledge has done well, as opposed to the one who acts on ignorance, or the one who has knowledge, but doesn't act in accordance with it. This is what he means here. Also, number seven, mention the four characteristics of those who enter paradise without hisab. The, the last of them, it is the tawakkul, relying on Allah alone. And the three before that, avoiding, huh? They don't accept anybody to do ruqya on them. And they don't use al-kay, that is the hat ayn or cauterization. And also, they don't follow or believe in bad or good omens. These are the characteristics of the people who enter paradise without account. How many of those who enter paradise without hisab and without azab? 70,000, and even it has been reported authentically in the, in the Muslim of Imam Ahmed in an authentic hadith that the Prophet ﷺ said that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is a favor to his ummah that he would with every 1,000 of those 70,000, every 1,000 of them would be accompanied by 70,000 from the ummah of Muhammad ﷺ. Every? Every thousand of those 70,000 would be accompanied by 70,000. This hadith sahih in the Muslim of Imam Ahmed. It is sahih. Which means that the number of them, those 70,000 would bring along with them another, yani almost 5 million. <laughs> the quality of the Ummah of Muhammad And this is a great hope for the believers, subhanallah. Even if we are not from those 70,000, they will bring 70,000 with every thousand of them. Subhanallah. Of the people of Tawheed who didn't reach that level. Of the tahqiq of Tawheed. Number nine, what benefit might be derived from the fact that some of the prophets had only a few followers? So we'll finish the last questions after the other. Uh, the last two questions, what benefit might be derived from the fact that some of the prophets had only a few followers? Now, that no one of us should be in despair. If in our effort to call people to Islam, that not many people respond to us. Don't be in despair. Those who are better than us, the MBA, some of them only had few followers. Three or four or five or one or two or none. Subhanallah. So we shouldn't be in despair by numbers. And the last one mentions some of the benefits derived from the verses and hadith of this chapter. And you can look at the text of those verses and see some of the benefits as well as the hadith and that which we discussed or in the Masail in the translation of Maktab al-Dar al-Salam, in the Messiah, the important issues at the end of the chapter, you will see many of those things that are derived, many of those points are derived from these verses or these hadith. Uh, also, there is a question, uh, for removing evil eye, some of, the, our, some of the elders used to do some traditional practice other than the things mentioned in the Quran and hadith. Is it sin 
are we too responsible for their acts, though we are not in, in uh, though we are not interested in? Um, if they used to do something for removing the evil eye, some traditional practices that's not from based upon Quran or Hadith, then definitely it should be avoided. And if it is found that it is something contradicting the Sharia or it is a defect in the Tawheed, then it is sinful for sure. It is sinful. In fact, for any type of healing, whatever thing that we use for healing, it should be that which is lawful. The Prophet said, seek cure, seek healing, but not by that which is haram. Therefore, we have to examine what practice they were using. If it was something that's forbidden, it is not allowed in Islam, then it is sinful and it should be avoided. But of course, no one is responsible from those who didn't participate in it. And if anybody participated in it unknowingly, then they should seek forgiveness from Allah, repent to Allah and ask for forgiveness. It's as simple as that. Uh, also, there's one last comment that I meant to make last week, but it, I, I, it's because of the lack of time, just, in the, just take a couple of moments. There was an issue two weeks ago uh, in the chapter in which concerning the right of Allah over his servants, where Sheikh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab rahimahullah said, uh, from the issues of importance based on the statement of the Prophet مَا حَقُّ اللَّهِ عَلَى What is the right of Allah of His servants and the right of the servants of Allah and the response, he, the companion of the Prophet ﷺ, he gave the response, he said Allahu wa Rasuluhu a'lamu Allah and His Messenger knows best Shaykh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab said of the issues from this chapter is the saying of the one who is asked about something he doesn't know قَوْلَ الْمَسْؤُولَ أَمَّا لَا يَعْلَمُ he should say, Allahu wa Rasuluhu A'lam. Shaykh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab made this statement that the one who's asked about something he doesn't know should say, Allah and his messenger knows best. He made it 1,000 years after the death of the Prophet Yet he said, from this hadith we understand that it's proper to say, Allah and his messenger knows best. And some of the scholars, such as Imam al-Tahawi and Aqid al-Tahawiyya, he said that when you're asked about something that's unclear to you, say, Allahu A'lam, that Allah knows best. Allah is the one who knows best, is the best known. And what we said is that based on this hadith and this statement of Shaykh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab, it's permissible to say Allahu wa Rasuluhu A'lam, even though the Prophet is not in this world living now. And this is understood because the meaning of the statement of the one who doesn't know, when he said to the Prophet about this question, Allahu wa Rasuluhu A'lam, he means that I don't know. So I go back to the sources where the knowledge is, and that is Allahu wa Rasul, Allahu wa Rasuluhu. That time the Prophet ﷺ was living. There's no confusion about this. He was living, so Allah and His Messenger knows best. But after his death, how can we say Allah and His Rasul knows best? It is similar to the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when he said to all you who believe, if you differ in any matter, فَرُدُّهُ إِلَى اللَّهِ وَرَسُولُ Refer it back to Allah and His Messenger. In the time of the Prophet ﷺ, there was no problem. We refer it back to the Messenger by going and asking him. But after his death, how do we say now, فَرُدُّهُ إِلَى اللَّهِ وَرَسُولُ We say the same way. That the source of the knowledge that we don't know about, if we differ in anything, the source of the knowledge is Allah and His Messenger. In that time they used to go to Him directly, and in this time we go to the Sunnah, the authentic Sunnah. And likewise, this statement here by Shaykh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab, that the one who's asked about something he doesn't know, based on that hadith of Mu'ad ibn Jabal radiallahu anhu, that you should say Allahu wa Rasuluhu alam, it is the same meaning, that the reference for knowledge is back to Allah and His Messenger. Even though the Prophet ﷺ is not living now, but the reference is the same. That we refer back, فَرُضُّهُ إِلَى اللَّهِ وَرَسُولُ To the Qur'an and the authentic sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. And here Shaykh Muhammad ibn Salih al-Utaymeen, rahimahullah, discussed this issue. And he said that the Prophet ﷺ confirmed the answer of Mu'adh saying, Allah wa Rasuluhu alam. 
he said, but perhaps some people, yani he also mentioned the statement of those who said that Allah wa shit, that it is as Allah wills and as you will, meaning the Prophet ﷺ, the Prophet said to them, Aja'altani lillahi niddan, have you made me as an equal to Allah? Bal Allah wahda. But in fact you should say, it is as Allah wills, alone, only as He wills. That time the Prophet refuted the person who said, it is as Allah wills and you wills. But he didn't refute Mu'adh when he said, Allah and His Messenger knows best. He didn't refute him, but he accepted it. And here, the, the, the Shaykh Muhammad ibn Salih Uthaymeen, he said that in reference to those things that are al-uloom al-shari'iyah, and the person doesn't know it, then it is the Messenger of Allah his sayings and his sunnah that is the source for us along with the Qur'an. The Qur'an and the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ as opposed to al-uloom al-kawniyya al-qadriyya the things about the workings of the universe which is the right of Allah alone in that case we shouldn't say Allahu wa Rasuluhu a'lam. However, he said, here the Shaykh says if somebody was to say فَلَوْ قِيلَ هَلْ يَحْرُمْ سَوْمَ الْعِيدَيْنِ Is it prohibited to fast the two days of Eid? It is permissible. Jaza and Nakulu. He said it's permissible for us now to say, if somebody asks us, is it prohibited to fast two days of Eid? He said, Jaza and Nakulu, Allahu wa Rasuluhu alam. That it's permissible for us to say that Allah and His Messenger knows best. And this is because the. Uh, when, and, this is, and the proof of this is that the companions of the Prophet whenever they were in doubt about something, they used to go to the Messenger of Allah and ask him, he used to clarify for them those things that's based on the Sharia. However, if somebody was to ask, لَوْ قِيلَ هَلْ نُزُولْ مَطْرَ فِي هَذَا الشَّعْرِ If somebody said, is it expected that there's going to be rain this month? لَمْ يَجُزْ أَنْ نَقُولُ اللَّهُ وَرَسُولُهُ أَعْلَمُ It's not permissible for us to say, Allah and His Messenger knows best. Because this is not something from the Sharia that's found in the Qur'an or in the Sunnah. But that which is in the Qur'an and Sunnah, then it's permissible for us to say, Allahu wa Rasuluhu A'lam. And this is yani, just yani, for clarification of that issue, because perhaps we left it with some unclarity, especially since one of the brothers from the office, who came in at the end of the class and heard that question, came to me afterwards, now he came and told me, what do you mean by Allahu wa Rasuluhu A'lam? How can you say that when the Messenger of Allah is not living? So I thought that if he was in doubt about the issue, perhaps we didn't make it clear, it is better that we go back and clarify. So the clarification is, if a person doesn't know, and they say, Allahu wa Rasuluhu A'lam, the meaning of this is they are saying that the source of knowledge, it is the Qur'an and Sunnah. That's the meaning of it. We are not suggesting that the Messenger of Allah is alive. But Allah has taken his soul. He has returned to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he is not living. So we are not suggesting that he is alive and that anyone should go and ask him. But we are saying, Allah wa Rasuluhu alam. It means, what we mean by that is that the source of knowledge, the best source of knowledge, it is Allah and his messenger, the Qur'an and the authentic sunnah. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika. Ashadu an la ilaha illa 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 ila